welcome uh, to another episode of A Pastor and His People. This is uh, Pastor Dave Keene. This is a uh, podcast of the Park Baptist Church to really uh, get to know our membership, uh, but also just get how, how to help us grow in Christ. Uh, and today I have one of my um, one of my good friends, a uh, fellow pastor, uh, Brad Evangelista. Brad, how you doing, brother? Good, brother. How are you, man? It's good to be with you. Good. Well, Brad, why don't you give us maybe a quick bio in terms of where you currently are uh, pastoring, how long you've been there, just kind of the, the high. I am in Columbus, Georgia uh, at Cross Point Church. We planted the church uh, 15 years ago this month. Oh, so God. April 17th was our first public service. And uh, I am not originally from Columbus. I'm from Southern California. I grew up on a little border town called El Centro, which is inland of San Diego. And then we went to college in New York and then was stationed here in the Army 27 years ago and met a girl from Columbus. Columbus is right next to Fort Benning, Georgia, which is a huge Army installation. And when I got out of the Army, we stayed here in the Columbus area. My wife's from here yeah. and planted the church 15 years ago, Cross Point Church. Yeah. Amen. Well, I, I'm actually uh, in Rock Hill because my wife is from Rock Hill, right? So That's right. You meet, right. You, meet, you meet a girl and you, you can eventually move home. So, uh, well, right. uh, tell me, how did you come to faith? How did the Lord call you to himself? Yeah. So growing up in El Centro, California, which is right on the Mexican border, um, my hometown was probably 90, 95 percent Mexican in the makeup. And so it was predominantly Catholic. Uh, but we went to a mainline uh, denominational church where there was no gospel preached, never heard the gospel, just kind of moral stories growing up. Um, did not know the Lord, thought I knew the Lord. We were just kind of classic nominal Christians. I have one older brother who's three years older than me, and he went away to play football in college at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, where he got hooked up with a, a really uh, faithful and fruitful FCA ministry, Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. And it was kind of a Pentecostal sort of uh, chapter of that particular group there in that, in that, on that team that he was playing on, and he got real fired up for the Lord. And he came home and would witness to me over my high school years. And so really for the course of about three years during my high school years here, he shared Christ with me. And then uh, the senior, my senior year of high school, March 16th, 1989, uh, he took me to a crusade, an evangelistic crusade that was put on in my hometown. And after sharing the gospel with me all these years, I, I heard the gospel shared at that crusade. And I think the Lord opened up my heart whether I was truly converted there, I don't know, but that's when I remember that the Lord gave me a sense that I was accountable to a holy God and that my only hope was trusting in Christ. And so somewhere around that time, I think I was converted really through the faithful witness of my brother sharing the gospel with me. Praise God. Yeah. Uh, now, how did your kind of faith develop after that? So after high school, you said you went to school in New York. Yep. You know, wh yep. where, where in New York? So I went to the to West Point, to United States Military Academy, and um, ironically enough, well, providentially, so three months after my conversion, I went to West Point. It was my first day at West Point, and I have a unique last name, obviously, Evangelista, um, and so I was getting hazed by an upper-class cadet my first day at West Point, and that's their job. They're supposed to break you down and, you know, make it tough. It's to me 
And then after he spent about 10 minutes hazing me, he asked me if I was a Christian because of my last name. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I, I, I am having, you know, just been converted just a few months before that. And he said, well, there's the church right outside the gates of the academy. When the semester starts, this was kind of the summer basic training time. And when, when the semester starts, you're coming to this church with me. And it ended up, this little church was a, was a uh, so I was basically ordered by this upper class <laughs> to come to church with him. And this little church in Highland Falls, New York, was a little Assembly of God church, a little Pentecostal Assembly of God church, which was uh, the same type of church that my brother had been attending in college. So that kind of was, I was, that sort of connected for me and it made me more apt to go to that church. And it was a little church plant there that uh, a young pastor in his mid-30s had planted just months before I arrived at West Point. It was just a small little church with just some cadets and some people that were permanent party army personnel stationed at West Point, like professors and other army folks serving the academy. And I went to church there for four years and um, uh, really grew in my faith and really felt a calling into ministry in that context, this Mm. little Pentecostal church plant, Assembly of God church plant. And so really my first decade and a half really of being a believer was spent in uh, the Pentecostal world. And eventually after getting out of the army, I went on staff at uh, at an Assembly of God church here in Columbus um, in kind of that Pentecostal sort of vein. Amen. Um, did, well, did you ask about how I got out of that? Or no, how, no, how, I know. Well, I'm going to yeah. ask you that the question in, in a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I know remember, the yeah. church that you're at now is not a Pentecostal church. Um, no, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's a little, a little bit different. Um, I just, this is just kind of an offshoot question. I've been hearing yep. a lot uh, lately about uh, people uh, in the military coming to faith. Just feels yep. like God is doing a work among um, chaplains there. Have you heard yep. any of that in terms of the work that God's kind of doing among the military? Yeah, I, I hear that pretty consistently. Um, I think there's a couple things going on. I think that the army is a little bit of a microcosm of just our broad culture with the, you know, the past 20 years, almost that we've been on this global war on terror. We have people in our church that have been deployed over a dozen times. And that puts a tremendous strain on a person's soul and on a family. And so I think that the opportunity for gospel witness in the military, at least in the army folks that I'm around is, is as ripe as it has ever been because of the strain and the stress of the life that they are living And then it's just kind of hit or miss. There are some great chaplains that are gospel-centered, that hold up Christ, and then there really are chaplains that aren't certainly across the uh, spectrums of faith. There'd be, uh, but then within Christianity, you have some that would be very unfaithful in their understanding of the gospel. Um, So I hear mixed reports. I hear about great things going on, and then I hear about chaplains who, um, you know, quite frankly, don't really know the gospel. Um, but yeah, I do think I do think there, there is a great work. I know here right now, there's a few chaplains that are connected to our church in various ways. They're doing wonderful work uh, with the Rangers. This is the, the Fort Benning is the headquarters of the Rangers uh, Regiment and the Third Ranger Battalion, and we've got a few guys that are just doing great gospel, Christ-centered ministry. In, right in the tip of the spear with those brothers. 
Oh, man. Well, I know you, you, you mentioned this kind of several times, just talking about that, the, the importance of believing uh, the right things of what the Word of God says, right? Yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. we were in a uh, Pentecostal uh, church in college and then joined staff at a public Pentecostal church. Now, you planted this church uh, uh, 15 years ago, and right. uh, you planted this church out of that Pentecostal church. Right. right, and right. your church is right. not a Pentecostal church, so, no, so yeah. maybe how, how do if someone's listening to this and say, "Well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense," Brad, um, <laughs> maybe explain what, what did the Lord do during that time? Yeah, well, uh, when I was on staff at this large church here in town in the Assembly of God Church, gracious folks, um, it was my wife's home church. Generations of her family have been part of this church. And um, I was starting to get a sense that the Lord was calling me to plant a church, and this church was supportive of that. I also knew that I, I felt like I needed some theological education um, because I didn't have many Bible classes at West Point. And so, they, so at that time, this would have been early 2000s, 2002, 2003, with uh, you know, the, the stream that we're swimming in now, I didn't, I'd never heard of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary or Southeastern or, you know, anything along those lines. I didn't know anything about nine marks of a healthy church or I'd never even heard of Charles Spurgeon or Reformed theology or ecclesiology. These things just, I didn't even have a category for these things. And so I went to a, I, I chose a seminary that was back home in the Southern California area that at that time was a kind of pioneer in distance learning because I was on staff at this church and my, I had at that time two children and this is my wife's hometown. I didn't want to leave here and go somewhere else for seminary. And so there was this small seminary, a Pentecostal, Arminian, egalitarian seminary in the Los Angeles area that had a distance program where you could do kind of half of the program distance learning and half of the program doing these modules where, you, where I would travel to Los Angeles. And so I went to this small seminary. It's called the King Seminary. It was founded by a pretty well-known Pentecostal pastor in California named Jack Hayford. And um, ironically, well, providentially, while I was there at this small seminary, I became reformed in my theology. Uh, like a lot of small seminaries, they were relying on adjunct professors. And so my systematic theology professor was a local Presbyterian PCA pastor in the L.A. area. And I got exposed to reformed theology. In fact, we use Wayne Grudem's systematic theology in one of, in my systematic theology classes because Grudem is a continuationist. And so that was kind of, uh, they, they liked that stance on, on, on the gifts. But I started to read the chapters on soteriology and it just kind of really, as I'm preparing to plant Crosspoint, I was going through this theological transformation where I was basically going from a kind of atheological and I don't mean that pejoratively. That's just that that was the culture I was in, just yeah. sort of off theological kind of devotional spirituality where you just had, you know, find a word and you preach it. You know, yeah. that was kind of the 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 culture I was in. And so that sort of off theological system was being deconstructed and I was becoming reformed in my soteriology. I was starting to be very suspicious about the charismatic stance on the gifts. And I was also going from basically an ignorant, theological egalitarian to becoming a complementarian. And Dave, I was so ignorant and so naive, I didn't understand the implications of what was going on. And all this is happening 
as I'm planting the church, as I'm forming a core team or meeting in my living room, looking for places to meet publicly. And I'm basically taking a 180 degree turn on me, my theology. So if there's any potential church planners out there, just a word to the wise, you should have your core theological principles figured out before you plant the church not as you're planting the church. That'd just, that'd just be one little thought. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you've been now, um, uh, pastor, maybe I want to kind of share a couple of stories of cross points journey. So maybe those early years of planting, what were some of the, the key okay. things that God taught you, things that you saw yep. in terms of when did you think that God kind of turned the corner where, Hey, we're no longer a church plant kind of struggling, but God has kind of allowed us to grow into a healthy expression of Christ. Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, for like a lot of church plants, the first five years, we rented out a school. It was actually not a functioning school, but like an old historic school building that had a real nice auditorium. And so we would set up and tear down, you know, every Sunday. And we're able to meet in the building other than just on that Sunday, on Sundays. But early on, um, as I kind of developed my theology, at least my soteriology, uh, Shortly thereafter, I started to get exposed to some nine marks things and started to have this real conviction of expositional preaching. And so early on, I started to see how uh, I think what would characterize my ministry before as an associate pastor and a youth pastor in my previous settings was uh, really carried by my personality or kind of the inspiration that could be brought to that moment in the delivery of whatever you were doing. And I started to see that as we were committed to expositional preaching, that the church, the life of the church was being carried by the word of God, not by my creativity, not by, you know, some aspect of my personality. And that just, it just kind of felt like an 800 pound gorilla was off my shoulders because you know, all this talk 15 years ago, I was thinking about church planning, church by, really it was just taxing to think that, man, I, my creativity is some sharp thing or some neat thing that I need to do for this next sermon series is what needs to carry the church. But by God's grace, early on there, uh, I settled into expositional preaching and I started to see that the church was being carried by the word of God, which was really, really encouraging. Amen. Well, when did it, when did it, things kind of change where the church kind of stabilized? Yeah, I would say probably, uh, you know, we met for five years in, in a um, rented facility. I would say a couple years into that, I was preaching. Um, I was preaching exposition and I was preaching uh, a reformed soteriology, but I wasn't explicitly uh I, I, it would just kind of come out here and there in my sermons. And I can remember a time, it was probably two years into the church, so this would have been 2007, where I just preached a topical message on the sovereignty of God and salvation from Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 and a little bit of Romans and Romans 9. And it's kind of like I just sort of, it's like, I just put on the shirt and said, this is, this is who I am. And this is who we're going to be. And there were some people that were part of the core group that came from the other church that were upset and left over that. Of course, we were very, very small at the time, but that became a real defining moment where I think we, we as a, 
the people that stuck around just decided we're going to be a church that is that is committed to what the Bible says and just just let let that stand. And so I would say about 2008 is when that really sort of kind of we we gelled, and then we started to grow. Um, you know, pretty you know just not not big steps, but we started to grow pretty consistently. And then just a couple of years later, we found the building that we're in now, an old department store, and we're able to, to move into it and eventually buy it. A huge building, about 52,000 square feet, which is just a wonderful space for us. And that's when we really were able to gel is just, you know, ministry in one place. So it was kind of a process, sort of like sticking a stake in the chapel door there saying, this is who we are theologically. And then having a physical space to meet in about five years in really helped us gel. Amen. It's great to have those kind of defining moments. You know, I look yeah. back at even our church's history, and I've been here for eight years, and I can kind of mark maybe three or four times at different seasons that the Lord kind of yeah. brought us through. Um, well, you have been pastoring yeah. for 15 years, um, and uh, what has God done in, in you yeah, as a pastor, right? yeah. you know, as, as a man yeah. uh, the, over these past 15 years, what, how wow. did he revealed himself? That's kind of a big question, but maybe any kind of like big bullet points that you can kind of pull. This is what I feel like the Lord has kind of has been doing or is doing in me. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say number one, he's made me, he's humbled me. Um, you know, you, you, I, I have a, um, just a much more humble assessment of my gifts and, um, he, in, in my ability to, to really to be faithful, a faithful pastor and shepherding God's people by his word. Um, you know, I can remember early on just thinking, hey, I've discovered this thing. Now you guys should believe it. But just humility and patience with people um, and uh, really the idolatry of trying to do everything yourself and the idolatry of trying to of thinking that everybody should agree with you uh, about what you preach and teach. And so I would say that the Lord has worked in me a humility and a patience with the slow plotting, oftentimes imperceptible, sometimes very frustrating ministry of the word. And I was much more prone as a younger pastor to jump around to something that I thought would work. And I can remember even kind of becoming reformed in my soteriology, being frustrated that this this new little thing that I discovered wasn't making the church kind of grow like I thought it was. And it's like I was using theology the same way in a, in a pragmatic way, like, oh, this should this should help us now. But that's just the just faithful plotting is what the Lord has called us to. And so I think I've been humbled and patience has been worked in me as I think about the difference between me 10 or 15 years ago and now. Well, I, I met you probably about six years ago. Um, and I think that that's what I have seen in you. You know, one of the reasons why that I think that I have um, wanted to, to be your friend, right? And say, hey, please, please like me. Um, uh, and it is because you, you have a steady trust in God's sovereignty. You have a humility uh, about you. And I think me as a young pastor, uh, you know, struggling and trying to find my identity as a pastor and, you know, will I succeed? Will I fail? Just yeah. that, just 
hum humility and steady plotting is something that I, that I, I think I've learned in my own life and a lot of it from your example. So I appreciate that. Uh, well, you're in a very new season uh, now, 15 years as a church plant, and now you're um, pastoring during a uh, global pandemic, right? Um, how have you seen uh, Crosspoint um, function during this in terms of the people? And then what have you kind of, what are you thinking through as a pastor during this time? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been, you know, really encouraged by how uh, the other elders, we have 11 elders and we're, you know, the brothers are, you know, caring for the church. We have a virtual elders meeting tonight where we're going to talk about a group of members that each of us have been assigned by another one of our pastors that we think are kind of vulnerable that we're going to, that we've been checking in on. So we're going to report to each other on how those people are doing. So it's been a real encouragement to see how God blesses the church with a plurality of elders and how that's for the good of the church. It's also been encouraging to hear as we've checked in on people about how they are encouraging one another and caring for one another. So I'm, I'm just really, really grateful uh, for that ways that we, that in a sense, this pandemic is, is an opportunity to amplify meaningful membership and discipleships it's just a it's just a it's like a megaphone for us as pastors to say hey friends this is uh, brothers and sisters this is an opportunity for us to do the one and others of scripture and i think you know we've said that for a long time and some people have got it but i think that the church a larger percentage of the membership sort of sees the importance of that now so for that we really we really thank god um i, I say something that's been working in me dave uh, that I confess, it's a. That this is a. I think a, a humility and a and a uh, uh, really repentance that the Lord is working in me. I see some of the thing, same things going on in me, as we've sort of moved to this virtual digital ministry and posting my sermons on Facebook and all that. Is that I see all the creative things that a bunch of other churches and brothers are doing, and I feel like it's it's a it's it's sort of said almost like a competitiveness, like oh we've got to we've got to do something too that looks kind of sharp and you know, we have to make our videos look really crisp. And I've had to like, Lord, what's, what's going on in my heart that I'm like competing with this, this slickness online. And I've just had to confess that to the Lord and a few of the brothers and say, uh, we want to do things excellently. I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue excellence. Of course Amen. we should. Amen. I want to guard my heart from a kind of idolatry that I know I am very prone to still as a pastor. Amen. And I think I'm, I think I'm more prone to that now because everything's online than I would have been otherwise, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree, brother. I think that when um, I, um, I see that in my own heart too, you know, asking, uh, should I, um, you know, should we use this other format, other software to make things look better? Or should we just, yep. you know, yep. create just a longing for, for the people to, to gather together. Yeah. And, and then you're like, yeah. there's all these lost people who are watching our services and they're yeah. used to this caliber of, of professionalism. And yeah, uh, but it just, it comes back to, do we trust the Lord's hand and his purposes in all this? Yeah. So, yeah. um, well, amen. Well, I, uh, I do love you brother. And I know that those who, from my church who are listening to this will, We'll hear a lot of um, the things that I say and try to cultivate in our own congregation from the things that you said. So I, I, I sincerely appreciate your influence in my life and just uh, you shepherding uh, your flock there at Crosspoint. Uh, is there any specific prayer requests that we could kind of lift before the Lord for you? Yeah, just we've got 
obviously several difficult shepherding situations in the church. Um, people, you know, entrenched in um, some very poor choices, a couple of marriages that are very strained. And so just shepherding them faithfully during this time when we, when it's much more difficult to be in the same room together. So pray for us as shepherds to, to be faithful shepherds uh, along those lines. And then just, I think, you know, this is an opportunity for all the pastors, uh, for any pastors that may be listening to this, just for us to, to increase our faith. I mean, you know, what's the time, you know, will, will, will we be stronger or will we be weaker? Well, we know theologically that the Lord is doing all things for the good of his people. But what about my little church? You know, is this going to be a kind of sifting? Uh, and so I just, you know, th there is a little bit of that anxiety in my heart at times. And I, I want to encourage any brother pastors that might feel that to just, hey, let's take that to the Lord. Let's let's let our understanding of God's sovereignty not just be a soteriological category, but let it actually weave its way into every part of my life, you know, my parenting, my marriage, my, my pastoring, uh, my, my trust in the goodness of God towards my local church, that he does work all things according, uh, according to his will and for the good of his people. And so be encouraged in that. Amen. Let me, let me uh, close in prayer. Uh, yeah. Father, I thank you so much for my brother and just, uh, what you've done in his heart. We, we thank you first and foremost for calling him out of darkness into your wonderful light, uh, for, um, shedding your blood for his sins, that he may be uh, renewed in you. Uh, God, we do pray that you would give him and the other elders wisdom as they shepherd uh, people going through trials. Father, uh, some trials of their own making. God, we pray that repentance would happen, uh, that we know that the things that you're doing in the world uh, ultimately are designed for your glory and for the repentance uh, of the sinners and for the strengthening of your church. We pray that that would happen at Cross Point uh, and at Park. We pray specifically for uh, Brad and uh, pastors like him who want to shepherd their flock well. We pray pray for humility, Lord, uh, and, and a deep, deep, deep trust in your sovereign hand, God. We pray that uh, our trust in your control in all things would would work their way through our our marriages, our, children, our how we raise our children, how we pastor and shepherd, God. That we would not be weary, wearisome or, or fearful uh, in these days, but we would just uh, wait in expectation on how you are going to uh, reveal yourself uh, to your people uh, during this time. Let us be a, a, a pastor and a people who hear your voice and walk in obedience. So, Father, I thank you for this time. We pray you'd use it to bless your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.